Hey Jason, how are you? I'm good, thanks. How are you? I'm doing well. Great to see you. Great to have you here as our Guru Coffee Chats. I'm here with Arturo, uh, my co-founder. Hi, Jason. Hello. So I'll just set the stage. Um, Jason Nicola is a great expert in content and consulting. Uh, he started uh, his journey on that arena. But in the past, he's worked for multiple companies in consumer finance, lending in the US and the UK, including some B2B companies. I'll let him explain his journey and his expertise, but I'm very, very pleased to have him joining in several work coffee chats. Yeah, absolutely. Thank you for that uh, introduction. Uh, you know, as Alfredo said, I've been in uh, throughout the digital marketing and uh, consumer finance, consumer lending spaces for just over 10 years now, which is hard to believe when I say that out loud. Uh, and really got my start in, uh, in Chicago in digital marketing. And over the course of the past 10 years, have sort of expanded my skill set to what I would call like ancillary or related areas that help facilitate uh, customer acquisition. So that could be aspects of product management as far as you know, how do you work with uh, developers, QA to actually build and deploy features. It uh, could be more product design, uh, product marketing questions around what do consumers want? How do you position it versus competitors in the marketplace? What actual language do you use to talk about it? Um, and currently I work uh, as both consultant and content producer. So I you know, run my own newsletter, which is focused on fintech and banking. Mm -hmm. uh, and then I also work with clients on an advisory or consulting basis uh, for you know, these kinds of topics or projects. Excellent. Thanks a lot. And that's, that's a great uh, segue to learn a little bit more from your side as far as how you find information on your potential customers. Yeah, so I kind of split that into to two buckets, right? One is, you know, me as a sort of standalone business, how do I find information or go about sort of building a pipeline of potential customers or clients that I might consult with? And then the second is, you know, in the practice of doing that consulting or project, how do my, how do my customers find customers? Mm -hmm. um, so let me start with the first one. And if we want to talk sure. about the second one as well. So you know, for myself, you know, the, the first question is defining who is a potential customer or client of mine. Uh, and primarily, I've been working with uh, companies in the financial services space, right, which makes sense given my background. Uh, and when I think about how do I find them, and my initial point of contact is typically, um, you know, founder, CEO, or potentially um, investors, so VCs who are investing in startups, you know, and I found that a really good way to both sort of gather information as well as uh, develop those uh, that sales pipeline, you know, is you know go where your customer is, and that's right. true whether you're doing you know B two C marketing, which is you know my my background, or B two B marketing, which is what I'm doing when I'm sort of selling myself or selling my consulting services. 
know, in some of the places I've found that have uh, worked well, right, are, and you know, it's not secret, it's not any big secret, but LinkedIn, right, where do uh, founders, CEOs, executives spend time and gather their information. Mm -hmm. uh, Twitter, which right. is, uh, I, I sort of think of it as a in less formal and mm -hmm. faster velocity subset of LinkedIn, right? Um, and also uh, Slack. Right. Uh, a lot of people are not aware they're sort of private Slack communities or call it semi-private, semi-public um, that foster uh, discussion, networking, and particularly in this sort of COVID era where uh, in-person meetings are limited, travel is limited. I found that all three of these have been a really great uh, channels to both network, uh, identify what the needs are in the marketplace, uh, and uh, sort of build my, you know, call it sales pipeline or consulting pipeline. No, that's, a, that's a very good point. And I, I would say the pandemic has helped reach out people that you wouldn't be able to reach otherwise because even though you're not traveling and going in person to meetings or conferences and whatnot, many people, many professionals have been available over these uh, social media platforms, and both public, but also private communities such as Slack. So thanks for that. How do you manage in this plethora of information to filter what adds value from the, you know, the noise or the clutter, if you will? That is a really good question and a really big challenge. Um, you know, if I think of the types of information I'm consuming, you know, in right now I'm really thinking about uh, the newsletter I produce. How do I think about sourcing information and then sort of evaluating or putting that information into into context, right? So I mean, there, you know, it's far too much information being generated uh, to consume and sort of process on you know on a daily basis. So the way I sort of think about approaching that are, what are my sort of like secondary or intermediary sources? So basically, you know, trusted, legitimate business publications that are writing about uh, the industry that I'm focused on. So fintech, uh, to some extent, regtech, or you know, the regulatory uh, technology uh, startup environment, uh, and then sort of the uh, the spheres that impact that. So that could be, you know politics. Uh, and today, as we're recording this, uh, the Senate runoff races in Georgia are happening. Um, you know, that potentially has a really real impact on what kind of legislation is introduced, um, what can pass, you know, who Biden can uh, appoint, rather. Uh, and that impacts, you know, the, the businesses that, that I work with or, or advise. Um, so, I mean, I approach it as sort of secondary, using trusted publications that uh, sort of act as a filter to highlight the most important developments. And then I like to actually, time permitting, go to sort of the source of truth or whatever document uh, or event they may be reporting on. So an example of that is uh, yesterday, the 5th of January, um, there was a task force report put out by the CFPB. Okay. This thing is like 900 pages. Nobody has time to read that, including right. me. Um, <laughs> But if you're relying on, you know, Bloomberg or American Banker or somebody to sort of intermediate this, you know, you're getting sort of their their perspective or their whatever points they think are sort of most salient, which depending on the business you're in, you know, may or may not be the points that you care about. So time permitting, I like to sort of go to the uh, original source document, 
to really sort of dig into, well, this is what you know, people are talking about, but what's really happening here? And then how does that impact uh, the kinds of businesses, the kinds of companies that, that I work with or aspire to work with? Jason, and in terms of the way that you add value through your newsletter, um, is that just kind of the, the curation process of selecting uh, what type of information you're you're sharing with the people that have subscribed to your newsletter, or do you actually put um, you know create like a new piece of content and give it like maybe some um, you know put in a little bit of your you know personality or, or you know brand that you want to develop? What's the what's the process that you follow? Great question, uh, and really it's more of the latter. So when I uh, decided to sort of launch this project, which was late last year, you know, I sort of looked at, you know, what do I read? What do I consume? What already exists in the marketplace? And uh, it was a lot of sort of the first part of what you mentioned, which is curation. So, I mean, you get, you know, and with Substack, it's really easy to, to put out uh, a newsletter, you know, very quickly uh, and easily. You've seen an explosion in uh, content, particularly email newsletter-based content. And so much of what I saw was uh, basically curation. So it's like, okay, you know, here's what happened last week. Here are 10 links or 20 links to funding announcements or product announcements or you know, IPOs or whatever. And, and that information is important, but you know, as I sort of got at uh, in one of my earlier uh, statements, it, it's often not the full story, right? Like that might be, call it the PR story or the headline story, um, but there's often something else that's happening or some other uh, goal or intention with that news release, which if you don't sort of pause and ask the question, you know, uh, who's putting out this story? Uh -huh. Why? What's their business? What's their goal? Um, you know, how does this align with other things that are happening that are maybe not, not you know, part of what's being reported on in this specific release? So what I attempt to do is, you know, it's often keyed on a current event, something that's happening. Um, so maybe it's, you know, something related to like buy now, pay later, for example, which is a super, super hot, super trendy topic, particularly with a firm and uh, their pending IPO and sort of pause and say, okay, you know, everyone is talking about, you know, this is the hottest sector. Look at the crazy multiples A firms worth $10 billion. Um, and try to ask the question like, well, what, what's really happening here? Or what is the story that people are missing because they're sort of so focused on these headlines? So I really try to focus more on the latter, which is adding value uh, by adding you know, original insight and analysis that, you know, that I'm in a position to sort of provide uh, as a function of having spent 10 years in this space of consumer lending, online lending, and FinTech. Excellent. And you know, given that that tenure, um, can you share with us a successful customer acquisition uh, hack? Yeah, absolutely. And it's it's interesting that you use the word hack. I've I've had a number of uh, conversations with uh, sort of like marketing industry folks about mm -hmm. uh, the term growth hacking recently. Mm -hmm. um, and, and for those who may be less familiar, you know, that term really comes out of Sort of early early Facebook days, and it's 
an intersection of how do you use you know, attributes of sort of product and product design to drive customer acquisition. Yeah. Uh, and one of the sort of old school examples I always give is like Farmville, right? And uh, I'm dating myself a little bit here, but <laughs> Farmville was able to very rapidly uh, and very cheaply, you know, if not almost uh, for zero uh, dollar cost of customer acquisition, get customers because they built it into the mechanics of the game where, you know, if you sent your friends a request and they joined, you'd get a certain amount of points. Um, you know, I think that sort of more modern uh, version of that um, is what Robinhood did pre-launch. Uh, in, in some respects, I'm not the biggest fan of Robinhood's business model, uh, but mm -hmm. that's a different question for a different day. Um, but I am a fan of what their pre-launch strategy was, which was, you know, they generated value for sort of the first party user, somebody who's coming to sign up for a wait list. Uh, but then they gamified this by saying, you know, we're going to allow you to sort of move up this list and get access earlier, the more friends you refer to the wait list. And then the last piece is uh, making that uh, knowable by having a leaderboard showing how many points do you have. And the reason why this was so successful, well, there's a couple of reasons, but one, you know, the product that people were signing up to wait for was uh, novel. You know, everyone else is charging a $5 commission or a $10 commission. Robinhood is saying, we're going to give this away for free. Um, for the users who are coming to sign up to wait for it, you know, there's an exchange of value happening there, right? I'm giving Robinhood my email address or phone number, uh, but I get earlier access to this product, which is you know, exciting and unique and, and, and free in theory anyway. Uh, and then the next step is how do you make that go viral? Uh, and that is sort of the gamified component of, you know, I can move up this list and know where I stand on the list based on referring my friends to it. And then sort of the question is, well, why, you know, what is gonna make me comfortable sort of soliciting my friends? Now, the farm bill example, it kind of demonstrates that people are willing to spam their friends for, for very little incentive. Mm -hmm. uh, but in the Robinhood case, you know, the sort of flywheel effect of why it was so, so effective is, you know, they're giving something to their friends that is also of value to them. Mm -hmm. um, so I think it's, it's a really good, you know, call it marketing case study of a, a growth hack or a viral marketing program that generated value for everybody uh, that was sort of participating. The company uh, the sort of first user and then the uh, flywheel effect of the users that they're recruiting downstream. So, so let me um, change a little bit, you know, talking about the, the goal hack concept. Um, because as, as you mentioned, you gave two, two examples, the farm bill example, which I think you know, for, for a lot of people was a very, you know, intrusive uh, marketing tactic. And you gave the example of, of, of Robin Hood, which is more of like a, a little bit traditional, you know, uh, approach. And then there is, you know, a lot of like case studies around, for example, Airbnb using its, in its initial days, create lists to leverage, um, you know, the promotion of their properties and Twitter doing a promotional activity in a very important, uh, conference, right? So it's, it's usually like the concept of growth hack um, attached to a very successful tactic. So it's, a, it's mm -hmm. really on a more um, tactical level. And 
So from that standpoint, I wanted to add like your, your point of view around, you know, a lot of people are thinking about the, oh, like this hack or this, you know, this like very specific thing. But, um, you know, in your experience, like what's the, what's the balance when, when, when you're trying to uh, develop a growth strategy for your clients around, you know, what you can obtain through growth hack and what you actually obtain by, you know, just having like a clear roadmap strategy you know, that, that you need to execute consistently in the next three years and not like these very specific actions that you are trying to target? I mean, that's a great question. And I think, you know, there's a couple of different pieces to it. I think to have a successful, you know, whether you want to call it growth hacking or maybe like a friendlier version of like product-led growth, mm -hmm. um, which means something arguably slightly different, uh, but it's about, um, you know, designing a product and designing features that generate value. Now, can you take that um, arguably too far in a way where uh, how that value is distributed becomes unequal? Uh, yes, and I think an interesting example of that, um, you know, is Venmo, right? Venmo as a business uh, has network effects, right? So as more people join it, it, it generates more utility for everybody. And as a marketer, that's like the dream, right? And, and Uber actually arguably has similar network effects. Uh, Facebook itself, you know, back in the day, Instagram, these are all businesses where as your friends join them, they become more valuable for everybody who's using the service. So that is sort of a, uh, call it natural growth hack or, or product-led um, product marketing, product-led growth technique. Now, where it could go too far, you know, depending on your point of view, um, is Venmo's uh, defaulting people to have their transactions be public. You know, this was a, you know, quote unquote, social aspect of the product. Mm -hmm. um, and I, I actually live in the Netherlands, so I don't use Venmo very frequently anymore. Um, but you would see, you know, people write funny comments, tag their friends, put emojis. And it was, you know, in quirky uh, component of sort of what the product was. Now the counterpoint is that's public, that was publicly available data that was exposed on APIs, meaning that you know, anybody could go and see some elements of what these transactions were. And arguably most people who are using Venmo then or now, you know, did not realize that they were making that information publicly available. So, I mean, you know, depending on sort of your uh, ethical standpoint on growth hacking or marketing as a discipline, you know, it can be challenging to understand what is the trade-off between, you know, a low cost of customer acquisition, trying to achieve those uh, viral or, or uh, network growth effects, and, you know, at what point does it uh, diminish utility or infringe on privacy, right? And so it's like, do you want to be Farmville? Do you want to be Venmo? Um, or does that generate an environment where you're actually, you know, making the customer experience worse in some regard? Well, great, great conversation and dialogue about, you know, point of views, uh, about growth, hacking, product and other strategies, shifting gears now to the soft skills or the mindset, if you will, you know, give me your background as a performance marketer. Jason, what type of businesses attract you the most? 
if you service this. Yeah, so I, uh, uh, I like to joke that I kind of uh, got into consumer finance. Uh, I won't say by mistake, but um, you know, I've been living in uh, the Caribbean and I moved back to the U.S. and was recruited by a financial services company. Um, and that was sort of the first, first entry point I had into that as a discipline. And my background at that point was firmly growth marketing, specifically like paid search, organic search. Um, and as far as what businesses I find, if not the most interesting, at least uh, call it the easiest to apply those skills in or those tactics in, you know, I, uh, they lend themselves uh, really well to high volume businesses, uh, which tend to be consumer businesses uh, and also uh, companies that have products with a short sales cycle. So the example I'll give is the difference between, you know, even in financial services, the difference between a personal loan, which might have a, you know, one to seven day consideration cycle from somebody starting to do research to making that decision and making a, making a purchase compared to a mortgage, which might take 30, 60, 90 days from the time that somebody begins shopping, comparing quotes, to when that mortgage actually closes. And the reason why you know, these two variables, uh, the amount of transactions and the speed at which a transaction happens uh, is critical for performance marketing is it generates more data more quickly. So if you're running a channel like Google Ads or, or Facebook or affiliates or whatever, you know the time from when you incur a cost which could be an impression or a click to the time that sales happens, um, the shorter that is, the easier it's going to be to understand the, rela the relationship between those two activities. Mm -hmm. Also, the more data points there are, the easier it is going to be to understand the relationship between those two activities. Great. And as far as resilience and motivation. How do you maintain yourself motivated? Uh, great question. <laughs> I know you are based in, uh, you haven't talked about this, but you're based in the Netherlands. You're American, but you are across the pond. So maybe you can share about that too. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, I mean, that, that's relevant as well, right? So, uh, you know, I moved here uh, to the Netherlands for personal reasons. Um, and, uh, you know, one of the challenges uh, and this goes into motivation as well, um, is, you know, most of my professional network and a lot of the work I do is with folks in the U.S., which is, you know, six or maybe nine hours behind if, if I'm working with somebody who's in you right. know, San Francisco or California. Um, and, you know, I find that maintaining motivation for me, um, a key component of that is being part of an ecosystem. Right. So, I mean, it's easy, particularly during uh, the sort of like COVID situation, um, you know, and I'm working from home uh, 100 percent. Right. Uh, it's really easy to spend, spend the entire day and not see another person. Yeah. Uh, and so I find that by carving out time to have you know, conversations with people, preferably like this, you know, face to face, even if it is on Zoom, uh, is a really great way to keep myself grounded and motivated. Uh, and exposed to sort of new and different ideas, right? You know, you asked earlier about sort of where I source my information from. Um, and 
you know, it's really easy, you know, whether in marketing or, you know, fintech or other areas of life to enter sort of a filter bubble where you're, you know, reading points of view that confirm what you already think, mm -hmm. uh, which is, can be a bit dangerous. Um, and I find that having conversations, uh, preferably longer than, you know, 140 characters on Twitter, mm -hmm. uh, having a real conversation with somebody can help me, you know, question my own assumptions or own data set or own decision making, you know, sort of process or framework, you know, in a way that, you know, sitting, sitting at home working all day staring at my laptop, you know, does not. So to go back to your original question, as far as motivation, you know, I find being able to interact with other, you know, thoughtful, experienced, you know, skilled leaders, you know, whether it's in my own industry or in different industries, um, is a key way that I keep myself motivated. That's awesome, great. And well, we appreciate your, you appreciate your time. I know it's late, later there in, in Europe. Um, in terms of setbacks, what has been your biggest setbacks as an entrepreneur? And what did, how did you overcome that? Great question. Um, you know, I think uh, everyone in life has experienced setbacks. Um, you know, in my course of work uh, as, you know, an entrepreneur, as a consultant, you know, I've had relationships with clients that didn't work out. Um, and that's never a good feeling, right? You know, as a, whether you're an employee or a consultant, um, you know, you want to make sure that you're generating value for your partner, whether that partner is an employer or business partner or, uh, you know, firm that you're advising. And it's never a good feeling when that doesn't happen. Um, yeah, but I think the the lesson I've learned from you know that experience or experiences like that is you, know, you don't have control over everything. Now, if there's a change in the composition of a board of directors or if there's turnover in a management team, you know, uh, as much as Silicon Valley or tech likes to describe itself as you know a meritocracy, uh -huh. so much of business is personality driven and is about finding, you know, who do I work well with? Who do I not work well with? Um, you know, communication, um, you know, as cliche as that may, may sound, you know, and, and there are events that are outside of your control. Uh, I mean, right now, I think that's true for literally everybody. You know, there are a lot of events that are outside of our control. And, you know, when that changes um, or impacts a business relationship or a working relationship, you can't, you can't let it get to you. Or, you know, you know, spend a day, lick your wounds, and then be like, okay, you have to move on and go to the next thing. And not that you can't learn from those experiences. You know, you can and you should. Uh, but sometimes, you know, circumstances change uh, or uh, counterparties change, and the relationship isn't, you know, what it is when you started. And, you know, learn your lessons and move on to the next thing. I can and I can relate to that, too. I mean, you know, that's happened to me in the past as well. It's, it doesn't matter who's at fault. You know, but it, we could be a blow to the ego uh, sometimes. But to your point, it's, it's all moving on, and you know, yeah. carry on. Uh, a, I like to like ask, ask this question uh, to my interviewees: Is what's your favorite uh, book, one that you've come across recently, and why? Yeah, so this uh, uh, biased by my geographic location, but I uh, have been very slowly making my way through uh, historical 
book about Amsterdam, which is called something like uh, Amsterdam, a history of the world's most liberal city, um, liberal in the lowercase L sense. Um, and it's interesting in that so much of, you know, I think Amsterdam has had an outsized impact both on political systems as well as economic systems. Mm -hmm. I mean, there have been some really interesting um, sort of structural developments, right? So some of the earliest joint stock companies like the Dutch East India Company, Dutch West India Company, these form the ideas of uh, owning stock in a venture. Uh, and then the world's first stock market, uh, stock exchange, also was founded in Amsterdam as a way to trade these shares. And these are ideas that are still, I mean, not still with us, more prevalent than ever. You know, when you start thinking about things, you know, whether it's Bitcoin uh, or, you know, crypto, crypto assets, cryptocurrencies, um, or uh, something else I was reading about recently, ISAs, income share agreements, uh, which is uh, a way of basically selling a right to your future wages. You know, all of these ideas stem from the idea that you can uh, create an extraction layer on top of some sort of asset, whether you call it a, a share or um, a token, you know, something like that. Uh, and then, you know, trade this through some sort of exchange, um, you know, and that creates uh, a marketplace that allows you to value it as that value changes over time. Um, so yeah, I am slowly making my way through that book, uh, but certainly some interesting facts that I did, did not know about, uh, uh, the Netherlands. Very nice. We'll look, we'll look into that. Um, I have one more last question for me. Um, and then I'll pass to Arturo. Is there any fun fact that people don't know about you? Yeah, I, I uh, uh, stole my own thunder on this one. Um, but <laughs> after I finished graduate school, I, uh, like I said, lived in the Caribbean, uh, specifically on the island of St. Lustra for about two years. Uh, serving as a Peace Corps volunteer. Um, and if you have listeners who are sort of like not familiar with that uh, organization, it was founded by John F. Kennedy in the 1960s, actually somewhat as a tool of American propaganda, basically a instrument to extend American soft power uh, to combat the Soviet influence during the Cold War. Mm -hmm. um, that is not what I was doing in St. Lucia. Uh, I was working on <laughs> I was working on building uh, sort of institutional capital, so working with local uh, organizations in the village I lived in um, to basically help them uh, develop the infrastructure tools necessary to do things like apply for grants, right? So something that we might take for granted in a developed country like the US or uh, the Netherlands, you know, I, the group I worked with, you know, it was like 10, 15 people, it was informal, uh, they wanted to make a difference in the village they lived in, uh, but you can't just go apply for a grant. Uh, a, you know, you're not a nonprofit. You're not any sort of legal entity. You're just a group of, you know, 10 or 15 citizens. So working with them to understand what is the framework you need to be sort of incorporated as a nonprofit, you know, bylaws, bank account, um, particularly in that region, sort of controls over, okay, if you raise money, you know, how do you audit that, make sure it's going where it needs to, um, so yeah, a really interesting way to spend a couple of years, um, you know, before going back to, to corporate life. Uh, Arturo, do you have any, any questions for, for Jason? So 
thanks again, Jason, for your time. Great conversation. We enjoy meeting meeting you again and hear from your uh, journey and experiences. Wish you the best on your newsletter and consulting projects, and hopefully we'll have you soon. Have a great day. Thank you so much. Pleasure to see you. Okay. Bye-bye. Thanks, Jason.